Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Well, hello, Key. I'm so excited to introduce a fellow mom podcaster, Key Haynes, who is joining us for the Moms Changing the World podcast today. Key Haynes is a native New Yorker, a screenwriter and podcaster. After taking a screening class during her senior year at Duke, she would continue her studies in media at the New School. Key has worked at two television networks and a film studio, And in her current city of Austin, Texas, she has crewed on a few independent films. In 2016, he and her co-host and husband launched two of their podcasts. One covers the NBC hit show, This Is Us, and the other is a general TV podcast. He has doubled down on her screenwriting in the past few years. Outside of writing, she spends time with her children, at book clubs, and with her very dear friends. We're so glad to have you, Key. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. I mean, one of the things that you know had me want to invite you is that from the time I'd heard you on This Is Us podcast that you share with your husband, I felt like I can, can relate so much to you as a mom, as a as an African American mom, um, you know, kind of young mom, and I just admire how you, you know, seem to be balancing it all <laughs> in the midst, you know, so many different competing priorities and demands. But I feel like I already know you, <laughs> but I, because uh, I hear, you know, I'm so used to hearing your voice over the last, you know, four years or so, but I'm really glad to that we have this chance for me to get to know you even better. Well, absolutely. I'm excited for you and the launch of your uh, podcast. And so, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and tell us about yourself and your life now with your, um, your children and how you impact kids in your home and outside of your home. Yeah, so I am a mom and a writer. I have been a mom for about nine years now. My kids are spaced uh, about six years apart. It was not on purpose, but that's how it worked out. <laughs> and so I've gone through you know, getting a kid to school age and, and shooting them off to school and then starting over. And so we're in a very interesting uh, dynamic of having a school-aged child and having a toddler. At this point, motherhood has been a whirlwind and an exciting thing and also a challenging thing. It is definitely a club I am happy I am a part of um, because moms are like no other. And so I've really had to learn over my nine years of being a mom, how to create a healthy family dynamic. I actually went away to school from the age of 13. And so some of the dynamics 
growing up in my house were just not typical because I was raised with a bunch of girls and dorms and things like that. And so I was fortunate enough to also view a lot of other families during my time at boarding school and kind of see how they raise kids and what that's like and what my desire for my future family was. And I'm really happy for that experience. Outside of my home, I actually taught preschool at my oldest preschool for a couple of years. That was so super enlightening, very fun. Uh, often when we would have 10 kids in our class, there would be 11 pieces of art to go home. My co-teacher also often wondered, who did this extra art? Well, it was me. <laughs> of I was, course. I was you got to get in on it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, if it's going to be math or art, I'm going to choose art. That's just the way my brain tends to lean. And so I, I love getting down with the kids and getting messy with art and bubbles and whatever fun, funky things we came up with. And I really did not know that I would enjoy that job as much as I did. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait to find out more about, you know, your experience with groups of children and young children at that. You were very brave. And, um, (laughs) and so, you know, to start off uh, very practical, I love sharing, you know, kind of some of the go-to meals as moms, we are always trying to feed our families. And so what are some of the go-to things that you kind of whip together to feed your family, um, you know, and healthful and otherwise? So we do this chicken burrito bowl in the Instapot. So it's just a one pot meal. It takes about Mm -hmm. 20 minutes and you can go from frozen chicken to cooked chicken in 20 minutes, which is just the most amazing thing about Instapot, right? A miracle. Uh, It's a a, a miracle. (laughs) And so it includes chicken, as I previously mentioned, rice, corn, beans, and cheese. And it's a fantastic dish. Both of my kids love it. They would gobble it up for days. And it's just something quick to throw together, especially when you're just running from one thing to the next. It also refrigerates well, and so you can definitely use it for a few days. On, yes, we have to play with the spice level depending on who who wants it. So that's probably the only consideration for variation. One of, and this is my husband's creation. He does these peanut butter and jelly rolls where he'll just flatten out a piece of bread with, um, and then you know layer peanut butter and jelly, roll it up, cut it into little bite-sized pieces, and you can throw it in a ziploc bag or you know walk around the house with it. Oh, I love That's that. Wonderful. It's been a long time since I've thought to do the, the roll it out flat with the peanut butter and jelly. Believe it or not, my girls are not into sandwiches, but I think you just reminded me of a way that I might hook them in if I make it fun like that with a little roll. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Anything that you can put together that's, you know, fairly healthy that you don't actually have to cook is a win, right? And so <laughs> we'll take that's it. just one step. It's a one step thing. I'm all about that. That's great. That's great. So did you always want to be a mom? I think I did, but I don't know that I gave it much thought. I wasn't, I wasn't one of the girls that, you know, had a, a binder of wedding photos, you know, magazine clippings, things like that. I, I, I don't, I admire those women. I think that's pretty awesome that they plan that vision for their life. But I was really focused on just becoming a healthy, self-sufficient adult. <laughs> and that probably a lot of that had to do with my schooling. Um, Definitely education was huge in my house growing up, as I spoke about boarding school, which is a prep school, um, a college preparatory, and that led to uh, my undergrad, which led to grad school. And so in all those times, 
all I did was dream about my Manhattan apartment with uh, parquet wood floors and my view that I would have. Um, So I, I really did not think about motherhood that much, except that I would always observe healthy families. And so I think maybe I was following it into the back of my head. Okay. And then since then, you know, is motherhood what you thought it would be? Motherhood is absolutely not what I thought it would be in like the best way and sometimes also not a great way. Um, It is much harder than people give it credit for. It is, um, it takes all of you physically, emotionally, mentally, financially. Um, But it is amazing. I don't know what I would do without these little humans in my life. I, of course, am biased but I think they're so funny. They're brilliant. I think they're beautiful. Um, they are, I have a boy and a girl, as I mentioned, six years apart. And so there are very different stages, very different personalities. Um, I love when my son says, mommy, can you play with me? Um, even though he doesn't know how to share, he just wants me to sit right next to him as he, uh, you know, crashes cars into each other. Right. And I love when my daughter snuggles up with me and wants me to read a book and, um, is her favorite place to be. Uh, so not what I thought it was going to be. It has definitely made me a more selfless person, a more patient person. <laughs> and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be their mom. That's wonderful. And was it easy to come into motherhood? I would say for my first child, it, I, it was easy to conceive. It was a surprise, but we were planning on, we were both, my husband and I were both finishing up grad school and we thought, oh, this might be good timing to start a family. My second child we lost, actually. And that resulted in what uh, is termed a second infertility. So for four years after that, we tried to conceive a couple years naturally, and then after that, started to get some intervention. And before we went to the big IVF step, we were fortunate to have my second living child. So, yeah, and that raises you know one of the you know important points that it's not always so easy to come into motherhood or to have you know motherhood you know become a mother again. And I think that's an important story. And I think even in, in media and in, you know, television screen, screen film, I think that's coming up more and more. Even our you know, favorite show that you know, we share as far as this is us has, has tackled, you know, that issue really amazingly. And so I, I thank you for sharing that. And I, I wonder what advice you would have, you know, for a mom who might be in the, in the trenches of some of the challenges of either becoming a mother a first time or becoming a mother again. Absolutely. I, um, I, it was the, one of the hardest things ever to watch my friends have their second and third and fourth children sometimes. And I wanted one more chance with a baby. And, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, especially second infertility, because you already have one. Mm-hmm. And so you think about people who don't have any, and you really don't want to complain. You really don't want to, you know, share your feelings that broadly because there are people who don't have any children and, and highly desire it. But it, it really gave me some perspective on how to go about mothering the kid I had at that point and how I would go forward. And so I would just say to any woman who's struggling to become a mom, desiring to become a mom, looking for the right partner, if that's part of what they want 
to just hold on. I am actually so often floored about how many women are just natural nurturers, even if they don't become actually, you know, mothers. And I've had friends who've gone through many years of trying and then decided to try adoption. And now they're huge advocates of adoption. And obviously this is us covers foster care and adoption as well. There's just so many ways and so many opportunities to become a mom in whatever sense that it can result in. And so I would encourage those women to not give up those families, even those men who desire to be parents to just keep going really. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. There's, you know, so much that's going on in the world right now while this is being recorded in the summer of 2020. You know, we're going through not, you know, just one pandemic, a health crisis, but also a kind of racial consciousness, you know, crisis as well in how, you know, Black and brown people are treated. You know, if we talk a little bit about your, you know, work or in just the, the space of media, movies, film, television, um, you know, has being a mother influenced, you know, how you, you know, how you approach your work as a creator of content that people are looking for, or as a consumer, you know, has it impacted any of that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so? Yes, to everything. definitely. I think it's impacted, you know, I hope I can be as forward to say that I would say we're dealing with two health pandemics, right? Because mm-hmm. the violence against black and brown bodies. Yeah. And generations, right? It's not just the hope of, oh, let's, you know, in the next generation will be better. You're really cutting off family lines. And that is its own health pandemic. And and so what's going on has definitely affected our household. I'd say primarily we've just looked at what are we consuming? And are these stories telling accurate stories? Are they bringing, you know, diverse faces to the front of the screen? Are they bringing diverse workers behind the screen? Are they really pushing forward a holistic, inclusive agenda? And it really helps me reevaluate what my kids are watching and what I'm watching. Even so, I dubbed all the content I was watching in June, Black June, because I, I felt like as a woman of color, I probably wasn't even consuming enough media with a predominantly black cast or brown cast and honestly there's not that much of it you know so sometimes it's it's interesting to to even go through that rabbit hole of seeking things out and paying for things that actually probably should be more accessible and are not and so it really helped me to look at what the content's out there and what's being produced and what stories haven't been told and what stories are being told there's some really exciting things that are happening in me, of course, Ava DuVernay is just, you know, Auntie Ava is the rock star and what uh-huh. she's bringing to the table is mm-hmm. good. But I also know that there needs to be a balance. Sometimes the prison stories and the police brutality stories is not all you want to consume, right? You need right. comedic stories. You need healthy love stories. Actually, Ava DuVernay had a six-episode dramatic love series this year called Cherish the Day. And I, and it, it was lovely. It was just lovely to explore these two humans and their love story and not, you know, necessarily deal with all the, it was a more of an escapism sure. experience instead sure. of a lot of the other stuff her projects focus on. 
And I don't know if I'm answering your question. <laughs> uh, there's, there's so much to piece together in this, but it's definitely affected us and what we're watching and what we're thinking about and what I'm hoping to write about. Definitely a lot of what I write will include people of color. I don't know how to not do that. Because yeah, um, you're and so, as a writer and you find your voice, you, you're telling your stories, right? Or you're telling stories through your perspective or through your eyes, even if they're not exactly what you've lived through. Absolutely. And so I think it's just continuously about being aware and showing up and learning and, and learning from each other. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. As a fun aside, have there been other uh, fun snacks, uh, quarantine snacks that you've enjoyed? I'm a, I'm a tortilla chip girl. <laughs> oh, uh, another way that I relate to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you are know, my people. <laughs> great wine, definitely. Um, and so you know, sometimes I have to, to control my portions and, you know, <laughs> easy to finish a bag of tortilla chips. They're light, they're salty. Yeah. And, but what I've been doing the last couple of weeks is just instead of ordering the whole huge pack of guacamole, making my own guac and really yeah. balancing that meal out. And I've forgotten how easy it is to make guacamole really and is. how cost effective and how delicious fresh guacamole is. Yeah, like uh, so that's been one thing I've been enjoying. And then I also, my indulgence when I'm on top of my treats, I have like a sliver of this medium milk chocolate, sea salt, toffee oh. chocolate bar. Yeah, that's 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 is, the winner in my is house. Is there a specific brand? Because I uh, I don't know. Yeah, sure. I'm not sure if it's in your area, but we have Central Market here. Okay. And it's it's their brand that I. Ah, ah, very good. I'll have to look that up because I, I enjoy that chocolate as well. Good, good. Yeah. So yeah, as we're talking about raising children, you know, in this this era, you know, you have a cute, you know, toddler who will one day be, you know, a black teenager and a black man, and and a lovely, beautiful brown, you know, daughter who you're raising to be a, a black woman. You know, how do you talk to your children about race and empathy and about some of the themes that we're seeing all around us in different subtle and not so subtle ways? Absolutely. So we've always been very purposeful about the books that we bring into our house Mm -hmm. and making sure that they're representative of all people. And that's honestly how we have a lot of the conversations with my daughter about life and people and their different experiences. Uh, We live in Texas right now. And so often we will look through the Texas blue bonnet winners list. And when, you know, we have a biracial family going to see their white grandparents and there's an ice cream owner who doesn't want to serve the biracial daughter. That's when we talk about race stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how when the little one sleeps and we have story time with the older, we go through these novels and we talk about, you know, what's it like to have an abusive parent and, you know, what those conversations are. And it seems to be the most effective way for us to really cover all the world topics. Mm -hmm. And we've really loved that time with our daughter in the past year. I would say that we're also really fortunate to be part of a very purposeful, multicultural and multi-generational church. Mm -hmm. You know, it's as a person of color, it's very easy to go to a mostly black church because those are also your people. And when the environment is like the current environment, it's easy to walk into those doors and say, ah, deep breath and sit and know that everyone in the room gets it, gets what you're going through. But we've chosen to uh, be part of a pretty diverse body of 
believers and that comes with its challenges, but they also are very purposeful in pushing forward hard conversations. We have this form called the gospel and, and we will sit together on a Friday night and talk about all the hard stuff. And recently we had a, a really um, honest forum with local police chiefs about what's going on. And so even though my kids are young and they might not be always part of these conversations, our, a lot of our groups of friends are part of these conversations. A lot of these families are part of these conversations. And so it really does trickle down. It really trickles down when our, you know, really, you know, people who would identify as our really white friends buy my kids books with black faces because they, they, they get it. And I think that's really having that community and also just bringing certain books into our home and having those conversations has really allowed us to talk about things. I will say, however, that we have not spoken with our oldest about the current environment. She is really sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, so sensitive that finding Nemo is a challenge to get through. She, she's just deeply affected by things as parents even being separated. And so as I am myself going through uh, understanding our environment and becoming better at my coping mechanisms and honestly dealing with anxiety and fear some days, I've decided that I'm not talking about George Floyd right now Ooh. to her because I need to know how to deal with it myself before I drop it all on her. And some people may think that that's a bad idea, but for us, that's what we've decided in this time. It's not that we will never speak about it, but you have to know your kid and your family and what you can deal with at any point in time. And honestly, we think that that's actually been an advantage of COVID because otherwise she would be in school and be hearing these things and we would have to have these conversations earlier than she was ready to have them. And so, of course, she knows about the civil rights movement Martin Luther King and all those things and that everyone mm. doesn't like everyone. But currently we're not talking about police brutality in our home. Yeah, you've hit on, a, on some great things. I think, you know, as far as what you share with children, you know, from kind of the developmental perspective that I uh, approach you know, this work and conversation with, being age appropriate is absolutely important when you're figuring out how to talk to children about what's going on in the world. And so as moms, I think we do know our children you know, and how they might respond to things and how they, um, how they cope. So I, I think that's an incredibly wise to pick and choose, you know, what you share, how you share, and when to share it. Um, because not all children are able to handle and, and cope with everything like, you know, adults do. So I think that's a really important point. And then you also kind of talked about the moments, the, you know, those everyday moments. And I am you know, reminded that those are some of the most precious times that we can convey our values to our kids, our opinion, you know, some of what we, what we think about things, but we can also ask them what they think and we can invite them to explore it kind of, you know, for themselves. So it's beautiful that you're using the bedtime, you know, routine to, to, in, you know, include and incorporate some of what's going on with the, the stories. And I think books are an amazing way, you know, to, to bring those stories to light in a way that's bite-sized, right? And age-appropriate, as we Absolutely. were talking about. Absolutely. Thank you. Right. So, yeah, as we uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you had been in a preschool. Can you tell me about how that impacted, you know, uh, your, your journey in this course? 
Sure. So um, we'd been in Austin, Texas for probably about two years at that point. And she was going to this really just fun half day program uh, where, you know, they play and they learn and obviously they learn, (laughs) they play and they just, the two and three and four year olds there, there's some babies there too, but I would say most of the engagement is focused on the two and three and four year olds. And they're really just learning what it's like to be in a school environment until about between nine and 1 PM. And so I would gotten to know some of the teachers pretty well as you're dropping your kids off. That's natural. And uh, sometimes if they were looking for a substitute, they requested me. So I went through background checks and things like that and really was just supporting the lead teacher or whoever was out at that point. But maybe about a year or so into subbing, I just decided, hey, this could be a cool thing to actually spend some of my time doing. It was, it was uh, counterproductive to getting free time, (laughs) (laughs) but it was so fulfilling. Kids are amazing. They're funny and they're so smart. You learn so much from them and they're honest, which I'm huge on honesty. And so I'll take a kid's truth any day. And I was able to be paired with some really rock star teachers who, you know, studied teaching and had their degrees. And so you know, I kind of became the, 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 art, the art person when that teacher needed to focus on lesson planning or, you know, helping kids learn how to, how to potty train and things like that, or really just being the support to a, a pretty good uh, part-time program. And I loved it. Outside of my screenwriting, I will definitely say it's one of the most fulfilling things job-wise I've ever done. Yeah. It's quite fun to see life through kids' eyes, and we do that, you know, as parents all the time. But yeah, when it's not your kids, and it's a group of children, maybe that you know are around your kids' age, and and with them, like in a preschool setting, suddenly you have you know all these other perspectives that you're seeing, you know, life through. That's great. And Absolutely. Then, go ahead. And may I add to that? Yeah. And it just gives you so much more perspective and patience, as you were saying, because you really do understand the range and the depth and the breadth of kids and what what some of their challenge might be or what some of their, you know, dreams and hope could be. But you know how there's always the joke about how hospitals let parents leave without a manual. Right. Honestly, right. teaching is a bit of a manual, especially when you go to teaching conferences and things like that and you hear from experts. And so it's one of those things that for moms who may have that opportunity, I would totally encourage it because if you were to get some of that education before you started to pair it, it is, it is much more than book knowledge, that hands-on knowledge, those workshops, things like that are, are an amazing tool before someone's able to really just jump into parenting. I would recommend it. That is a great kind of piece of advice because there is a lot of information, a lot of research both about you know, preschool and um, school age and from a educational perspective, but also the developmental perspective, the psychological perspective, and how that all gets intertwined into, you know, early childhood experience, you know, Absolutely. such as the preschool that you were in. So you're, that is a great, you know, reminder that there is a lot of information out there that we can get um, if, we, if we can kind of, take some of the opportunities that come up, whether it's, you know, in our child's class or if there is a conference or something nearby there, and there's of course books everywhere, but it does and kind of inform and expand, you know, what's going on in your own home, 
because it, it reminds you that it's, it's, it, there are patterns to how children develop and there are um, evidence-based strategies for what you can do to help not only teach them how to read and write, but also teach them how to deal with emotions and feelings. And in some ways, that's even more important to their long-term success than you know, the academics that our culture tends to put so much emphasis on. Absolutely. So you, um, yeah, you also brought up something about play, which I, I thought was really nice in that playing with kids, is, especially in those early years, you know, play is the work of, of kids, the work of childhood. And we sometimes forget that as adults, you know, as grownups, we, we sometimes can lose that, that, that gene, right? Our, our genes don't express the play side as, as easily as they might do, you know, and as naturally as they might do when we're younger. So can you talk a little bit about playing and kind of how how play has grown in in your mothering? Sure. Yeah. I actually don't think I understood playing for many years Uh (laughs) and not, and not just as a mother, my childhood, like I just said was, or I said earlier was just really education focused. And um, as a child of immigrants, I, I saw my parents leave honestly, a better life and and move to New York and struggle. And so, you know, it's not the typical immigrant story that most people hear. Most people hear, you know, people are struggling in their country and they think America's, you know, the land of all the things and, and then things are just better, but it was actually the opposite for us. My mom was a businesswoman before she met my dad on her own house in the seventies and she did all the things, but then she got sick. And so doctors in her home country weren't able to figure it out. They would fly back and forth to the United States to get medical attention. And my dad was a minister. And so he also would preach back and forth in the States. And so they ended up just having a community here alongside doctors that had seen my mom already. And so they just kind of picked up in order to save my mom's life and moved here really quickly. And so it it was kind of the opposite story of, of, you know, poor to riches. Right. And so, but it was, it was, it was culture shock for them. It was Brooklyn in the eighties and my mom didn't know how to navigate that. And so she kept us home a lot. And that really just meant a lot of television. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So you wonder where some of my love comes from, but because she realized how important education was in the United States, they pushed that. Mm-hmm. And so it really took um, me seeing my husband play with our kids and learning at the preschool level how important play is to really push that in my mothering journey. And of course, quantity is great, but I've realized the quality, even in short spurts, is where it really happens. Because kids move so much that by the time you sit down with them, they could be off to the next thing. But I've read things that even five to 15 minutes really just makes an impact, you know, a few times a day with kids. And so really getting down on their level, getting on the ground have been things that I've learned to do. But I've also realized that I really thrive getting out of the house. And that is something that COVID is preventing. And so I love to go to play places with my kids. Play places where it's just set up for kids. They can play, jump, climb, roll, you know, push buttons and all those things. And that is where I really feel like play 
has uh, blossomed in our family. Zoos and museums and adventures. I love outdoor adventures for our family walks and bike rides and things like that. And so I had to understand how important play was. And then I had to figure out where I thrived in playing. And then that's where we put it together. That's great. That's great. And I think sometimes as parents, we can forget that play is how kids learn, how they grow, how they create worlds that they have more control in. Because we, you know, children don't have a lot of control over their lives and what they can, can and can't do necessarily, you know, um, at, at any given day or, or moment. And so play is one of those places where they have, they can have all the control in many ways, of course, with our safety parameters, but they Absolutely. can run, jump, climb, um, really get into what they're doing. They can create worlds that maybe they saw on TV or um, they read in a book, but then they can enter that world and actually experience it for themselves. So um, that's great that, you know, you've, you've kind of grown in it and, and they teach us, right, you know, and invite us into their, their play world um, in ways that I've constantly been impressed with. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Great. So as we're starting to wind down, um, you, you know, you have children that are in the preschool age as all the way up to elementary. So are there, you know, things that you have learned or things that you um, are working on as far as that healthy balance that you talked about in parenting to, to you know, with, sometimes when you have a gap in your children, that can create certain, you know, situations that you have to be creative about. So any advice for maybe ch- parents who have children that are your same age, maybe they have a, you know, preschooler and then a, a older upper elementary school or, you know, somehow share, you know, your... Uh, Kind of, kind of where you are in your parenting journey. Any advice that you would give? Sure. So I think you know, there's always a, it always seems like there's a tendency to have kids close together so that they can play together. Mm-hmm. And even though that wasn't necessarily my plan, I definitely thought my kids would get closer to age in six years. However, they are really good friends, and and so I think if parenting looks different for people, that they can still be encouraged that those kids can be really good friends. I mean, my two-year-old is just now learning how to play hide and seek and my eight-year-old can totally jump into that and they will run out of our house and make a mess and climb into closets and pull things down. And it is so fun. It might take a while, you know, between obviously a baby and an older kid, but once, you know, a couple years pass, they can become really good friends and have a lot of fun. And I think like any siblings, they fight too. They have, you know, trouble sharing too. They want mom and dad at the same time too. Mm -hmm. But I would, I would say that there's just so beauty. There's just so much beauty in so many different dynamics that I would just, you know, make sure that you look for it. And sometimes we do have to be creative. Like my and, th- and that's honestly how the book time came up with my oldest. We realized she didn't have enough one-on-one mom and dad time. And so we pushed her bedtime a little bit and said, you know, during this time, we're totally dedicated to reading to you. And we're going to get some books that we all want to hear. <laughs> and so then it was just enjoyable. You know, the end of the day, sometimes everyone's drained and tired. But if, but if there's something that both parties enjoy, you know, both both parts of the family, kids and adults can really get into. That's fantastic. My daughter and husband have been really getting into Minecraft lately. We had no idea she'd be that good at it because she 
just exhibits herself as like a really glittery girl, right? Sparkles and flares and twirls and things. Actually, she's also really good at it. And so uh, also not limiting your children, thinking that just because they present one way, that they won't be interested in another thing. Um, And it really was just a Zoom birthday party that helped us understand, oh, like this is a thing they can do together. So I would just explore however many things that people can and really figure out, you know, what you can do to really infuse fun into your lives. That sounds so fun. Good. So then, you know, self-care is one of the things at Moms Changing the Worlds that we are looking for ways to prioritize and to make sure that we can get, because if we don't spend time and energy filling up our cups, um, then we don't have much to give as the, you know, the quote with the, you know, uh, put on your oxygen mask on the airplane before you tend to, you know, uh, can care for others. So then for you, you know, how have you, you know, found self-care, time for it? What do you do for self-care and how do you, uh, how would you maybe encourage or give ideas on that? So I'm horrible at (laughs) (laughs) self-care. Can I be honest? Like it's just, it is, it is really hard to do that. I find myself feeling empty a lot, especially during this, this COVID-19 pandemic. And sometimes it takes someone else to say, Hey, Key, are you okay? Like what's going on? There are things I've done, but I, I, I really need to do them more consistently to see the full effect. Sometimes my breakfast will be an hour after I feed the kids so that I prepare it in way that I really want to have it warm over easy eggs, which the kids aren't eating, you know, just mm-hmm. almost like I'm going to brunch and plated it the exact beautiful way. I want to see it with, you know, a mix of sparkling water and orange juice, you know, pretending it's a mimosa. I mean, all those little things really do help. I've taken more bubble baths with Epsom salt lately. I didn't realize how refreshing that could be. That was my mother-in-law's suggestion, and she's great with self-care, so I should talk to her more about that. Absolutely. Um, I think that's one really important thing during quarantine. My friend is a personal trainer, but she lives in Philadelphia, and so she started creating these virtual challenges. People sign up, they pay a fee, and whatever service you're using, she will choose workouts for you, and it's great, and she has an app, and so... The app makes you answer questions every day. Did you do your workout? Have you had water? You know, are you getting enough sleep? Things like that. That's been really good. My last challenge was not as successful, but I started a new one. And also for me, I'm a learner. And when I'm taking care of kids, I can't always learn in the way that I want to learn. But noise reducing headphones (laughs) really helped me listen to podcasts. And they give me so much joy and they help me learn even when I'm not able to physically sit down with a book. You can listen to headphones, you know, when you're cooking dinner or playing with your kids and, you know, maybe they're not chatting with you as much and just pop on some headphones and now you're engaged in a whole other world of learning. And so those are some things I've done, but I really need to get better at self-care. The self-care is a journey. I, and I love that, you know, exercise has been a part of yours and, and you're working on it. I think we all 
you know, can be working on it, right? And, and just doing the little things, right? And it, it sounds like it's a very mindful approach that your friend has used in terms of asking you questions about, you know, not just your exercising, but water and sleep, which we know are also super important. So that's great. If it's something that's shareable, I'd love to put that on the website because I think that's, uh, uh, you know, we're all looking for more ways to be active and to be um, engaged in, in taking care of ourselves. And something as simple as a warm bubble bath uh, or Epsom salt bath. What a great reminder that sometimes it is those precious simple moments, you know, that can really just give us a few minutes on our own, um, just for some me time reflection, you know, whatever we like to do, um, listen to the story, and then we can just come out so refreshed and so much, you know, so much better ready to engage and be present with where our kids and our family, you know, is at. Yes, it is a continuous journey of learning. <laughs> yes, yes. Great. Well, were there any, um, you know, last words that you wanted to, to share or say or anything that you had wanted to pass along that we didn't talk about yet? Um, let me see. No, I would just, I mean, overall, I'm just, I, I feel really fortunate. I've really been fortunate to, um, to, to pursue the career that I'm pursuing for the family that I have and for the communities that um, we're a part of. And um, we've definitely had our ups and downs as parents, as individuals um, in career and even with health. And, um, you know, it feels like even the darkest moments can turn into light. And so I just encourage anyone who's going through a really hard moment that um, to reach out to others and not be alone. And therapy is a tool and don't be afraid to use it. Wonderful. Thank you for that reminder um, that we also have to be compassionate with ourselves. We have to be kind and give ourselves grace, you know, through especially seasons and times like this. But uh, anywhere we are in our motherhood journey, um, we don't have to do it alone. So I'm glad that you reminded us to definitely keep uh, the community of it in mind. You know, you've chosen some intentional communities with your church and with other writers and your family, which is amazing. And, um, and therapy is actually absolutely a great way of professional therapy is sometimes needed in order to, to process and navigate you know, some of the challenges that uh, motherhood is guaranteed to bring. <laughs> so thank you for that. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Key. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. This has been a thrill and so much fun. Great. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.